Go Ask Alice is a show intended for adult audiences because adults want to learn too. Sometimes we cover sensitive material, so please take care of yourselves and listener discretion is advised. Now on to the show. Hello, internet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random Wikipedia rabbit holes and bring you the best factoids from Wiki Wonderland. I'm your host, Sarah, and I just baked 22 delicious cookies. <laughs> I'm Lindsay, and I love to drink pickle juice. This is the show where, just like Sarah said, we jump down random internet rabbit holes every week. And we wander around the wiki articles in our wiki wonderland, starting from the same page. And we try to find something metrically fascinating that we cannot stop reading. Then it is our duty to bring it to you and to everyone else and explain exactly why we found it so undeniably fascinating. Uh, This week, we started on, I don't remember. Pain tolerance. Pain tolerance. And I did not I did not go far. <laughs> did you? Okay. <laughs> Where did you end up, Sarah? I ended up on placebo. Placebo. Okay. Placebo. I did also did not up? go very far. Okay. Um I land I landed on a person by the name of Juliana Kopka. Okay. Kopka sounds familiar. You are gonna remember her name by the end of this for sure. This woman is one of my heroes now. Okay. I am so excited. (laughs) But (laughs) before we dive in, we have to do our question of the week. And a reminder, you can always answer our question of the week on any of our social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. Um, This week's question of the week, I feel like was a little bit controversial compared to any of the others (laughs) we've ever had. It was... Would you rather be reincarnated as a cat or as a dog? And there is no middle ground on that. Lindsay, I know exactly what you're going to (laughs) say. Well, I know what you're going to (laughs) say. Go ahead, Sarah. What am I going to say? You're going to say cat and I'm going to say dog. You're going to say dog. (laughs) (laughs) It's the two personality types. Forget type A and type B. It's type cat and type dog. (laughs) You know what? That's actually so funny because like I love to go out for runs every day and every day I'm like, I'm a dog. I'm a dog. I'm having so much fun <laughs> going around in the sunshine. You do have golden retriever energy. I really do. I really do. Like when I see my friends after a long time, I'm like through the roof, like excited. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. All my friends are here. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you want to be a dog, Sarah? I just, I love dogs. I love dogs so much. I want to be any dog would do, but I would love to be like a spoiled chihuahua that's owned Ooh. by an elderly lady who is either widowed or doesn't have a husband and gives all of her love to the chihuahua. <laughs> I want to be that dog. Or I one of Paris Hilton's dogs. they have their own house i used to follow her on snapchat and they have like their own mini mansion like poolside it's crazy yeah i'd take that life what about you why would you want to be a cat they're just clean and they don't need to rely on anyone (laughs) they're very independent yeah they they can do it and i just really respect the way that my cat kiki like she doesn't care how much bigger her threat is like she will start to throw hands like she she's got (laughs) knives in her feet and she knows it like she's just ready to fucking brawl at any moment like we joke that like if kiki had a biker jacket it would say no gods no masters and that's just like (laughs) i love kiki 
But actually, mm. our audience was pretty divided. Um, really? 42% said cat and 36% said dog. If you're wondering where the other 21% is, I did provide a middle ground <laughs> on our Twitter poll. What did you provide? I said depends on the day, which was really okay. funny because listener... Wizard Marnock said, dog by day, cat by night, duck when it's raining. Oh, that's a good choice. (laughs) Yeah, cat, dog, duck. (laughs) Why not? And I should say that we had another uh, comment on the Twitter poll by Moth, who said, definitely a dog, but cats are pretty cool too. And Moth deserves an extremely special shout out because they are our newest patron. Thank you very, Moth. I think it's her username on one of oh, her social amazing. medias. I'm Moth's biggest fan. So, um, <laughs> Moth, thank you so much for being our newest patron. And we love you very much. And I don't know how she's going to decide her Discord role because she is our Google Wack champion in the Discord. We have a separate channel where people can post Google Wacks that they find. And Sarah was telling me that she had tried and... I tried for about 10 minutes and then went and cried in a corner. (laughs) It was too difficult. I was very proud to have, like, gotten near 100. But Moth just, like, went all in and she got one that was six. Yay! And then got one that was a true Google Wack one result. And that's a previous episode. I don't remember which episode number it was. And you'll find it if you believe. But thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so, so, so much, Moth. Drew would be here to give you smoochies, but I have no idea where he is. So from me, you're getting a really warm and heartfelt consensual hug right now. Yet again, Sarah. Sarah and I are just staring at each other on Discord, waiting for it to be over. Did the hug finish? I think the hug is done. I think, I think Moth, thank you very, Moth. <laughs> Amazing. Back to the show. Back to the show. Okay. The two-person episodes are really special because we get the full spotlight on our intersecting personalities. And I think this is going to be a real Sarah Lindsay special because my topic is like ultra Sarah. Uh, So I'm very excited to have your full attention. But I will say that mine comes with some extra warnings. We always have a Drew warning at the beginning of the episode, but mine... Mine can be a little much. Okay. Well, maybe do we want to start with placebos, which are not too crazy. General warnings applied and then end end with a bang on Lindsay's special warning hazard topic. That sounds really great. And then that way, if anybody doesn't like my topic or wants to skip it, they can just stop listening to the episode. Yeah, that sounds good. And we will not judge you. We love you regardless. Yeah, and we've got loads of other episodes that are, like, way more palatable. So if this one's not your bag, that's okay. Exactly. Amazing. Are you ready to learn about placebos? Tell me all about it. Okay, so do you know what you... I mean, this is a silly question. You've heard of placebo, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Both the band and the pills. <laughs> band and the pills. Amazing. <laughs> Tell me about the pills. What do you What do you know about placebos? I know that when you're doing an experiment with medicine, you want to have a control group, mm-hmm. but you don't want the control group to necessarily know 
that they're mm-hmm. not getting the pills because that can kind of bias your results. So you give them fake pills. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And then the placebo effect is where we start to see, so say you have a control group, someone's getting sugar pills. They're not meant to do anything. They're not meant to change your condition. And some people in the trial are getting the real pills, which are doing stuff and changing the condition. The placebo effect is when they see people receiving like the sugar pills or the, the non impactful medicine saying they see significant differences so saying that they either feel better or they feel worse there's something called a nocebo I'll talk about that later but it's when people think they are either feeling or experiencing changes due to a medication or due to some type of treatment but the treatment's not happening but their psychological part in their brain equating whatever they think is happening to their body so especially when it's pain related there have been some really effective placebos with pain management, at least in clinical trials, where people can say, yes, my pain has subsided, when really there's no logical reason why it has. Um, and Ooh. there's a heap of reasons why this happens. It's either psychological or it could be just statistical, the fact that pain isn't constant all the time. You go through worse, but it gets worse, it gets better, it kind of fluctuates and people could take the fluctuation as uh, the placebo effect. But a lot of it is psychological and I think it's fascinating and the more I read, I was like, oh my goodness, there's more different aspects <laughs> of placebos than I even first knew. So, Are we going to talk about weird placebo effects? Um, A little bit. We're going to talk about something I think is insane. So when I was reading the you know, the little definition. So it's common placebos include inert tablets like sugar pills, uh, inert injections like saline, sham surgery, and other procedures. Now, what? Yeah. yeah. Now, if you're like me, your ears just perked up and went, the hell? What is sham surgery? Yeah. Tell me the fuck <laughs> about that. <laughs> so I was exactly like Lindsay. I'm like, what the? No way. I'd never heard of this before. Um, yeah. Because it's like an ethical grey round. Because if you're giving someone a pill that's not actually a pill, that's more ethically easier to justify why you're doing that. Because most of the time you're trying to prove the, the effectiveness of the actual medication. Whereas if you're operating on somebody and deceiving them, then that could be psychologically scarring once they find out that the surgery was not real right? Oh my God, Whereas yeah. people in clinical studies know that they could be taking a fake pill. They don't necessarily know with sham surgeries. Okay, but like, amazing. do they just put them under anesthesia and then wake up and then they're like, surprise, we're done? Or do they like actually cut them open and then do nothing and then sew them back up? Depends on what the surgery is. So <gasps> a couple of times this has been done purely by accident. So think ye olde past hundred or so years and before they were doing surgeries that we now know don't work. They're not effective surgeries. However, back in the time, there were reports that these type of surgeries, they, um, especially like uh, orthotic, like bone surgeries from hundred years ago, people thought were improving their lives. So say people who had knee issues or shoulder issues. And so now we look at it and we're like, well, that shouldn't have worked. And we know it really doesn't work. Now these people were experiencing the placebo effect. I see. Where it's like accidental shammy. Like they thought they were doing (laughs) something, but they weren't. 
Um, But the other way is under like full ethical guidelines where you want to test the effectiveness of a of a type of surgery. So say you're going to do like a knee surgery. You want to make sure that that surgery, because it's going to be pretty invasive, pretty expensive to do, is more effective than nothing, obviously. That's the goal you want. And this is present times, right? Yeah, this is in present, present studies. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So they want to make sure that some some treatments actually work, or is it a placebo effect? So one example was this randomized controlled trial, which was carried out to investigate the effectiveness of shoulder surgery to remove a certain type of bone spore. So in the shoulder, the, the patients had a little bit of like calcified like a spore, a little bit of bone that just was not really meant to be there. Okay. Uh, and they were testing a type of surgery that would remove that. How did that patient get on? Did they experience less pain? Did they have more movement? That type of thing. Okay. So they did this with a controlled group, randomized controlled, and then a randomized um, actual operation group. And they did a sham surgery on them. So the people who were Holy getting shit. the control surgery, they would just open them up, stitch them back. <sighs> So they had oh the scar, God. but they didn't do anything. Isn't that wild? That's really fucking wild. Like, also imagine, like, being that doctor. Like, what do you do? Like, cut them open, like, do a lap around the room and, like, come back. And <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> back up. Yeah. I think pretty much. Like, oh, my God. The, so, I mean, it makes sense. Scientifically, you kind of want to know, right? And this particular study, there's a there's a link to it in, in the actual Wikipedia article. You can go to the peer-reviewed medical journal that reports this, this meta-review of this study. Mm-hmm. They found that the improvement after the sham surgery was just as great as the improvement after <gasps> real surgery. That's astounding, but also, like... I mean, there's so many things to take from that. Like, I first of all, I'm shocked, <laughs> but but like also like kind of not shocked because yeah. if you knocked me out and then I woke up and you were like, you have a brand new liver. I don't know. I don't even know where my liver is, but just say like, for example, like you have yeah. a brand new liver. My belief, like my core belief would be like, I've got a new lease on life. This is mm-hmm. awesome. I am so healthy. And then I would probably live healthier like just in that mindset you know this makes me think of like I do these guided meditations and sometimes they're like all about renewal and you're supposed to really focus on like your body healing itself and your body being healthy and this feels like a jump start kind of like yeah I don't know what you're supposed to attain by meditation but just a lie forcibly with sham surgery how would you feel if somebody was like sarah like wake up you have new knees like wouldn't you feel like yeah you i mean if you had no reason to doubt it you had the scars you thought you'd been through the surgery you'd been through this really hard thing to improve your life i'm sure like i mean we we see it in these couple studies it does stuff which is crazy yeah were you shocked were you shocked to learn that or were you also similarly like oh yeah that makes sense um, I think a bit of both. I think because I've got another example, which is the complete 
opposite. So I think it's very, it depends on the study, depends on the type of sham surgery. I think there's so many different factors, but I'm not surprised because, you know, the mind, the mind's pretty amazing and very powerful. And a lot of our perceptions are to do with how our mind is working, right? Like our pain tolerance and perception can totally depend on a heap of different things like do you have inflammation are your hormones a little bit weird are your chemicals in your brain balanced or not balanced or there's there's so many different things or do you have the right vitamins and then that can affect slightly like how you're perceiving your pain and things like that um yeah which which is insane like it's amazing but so another study which is the one that i kind of thought was gonna happen was uh, they did a very similar thing, but with knee surgery this time. And they found that those getting the actual treatment didn't do any better than those who got the sham. So that the treatment wasn't effective. This is amazing because it means that they've just discovered that this type of treatment they assumed would be working or they assumed would be making significant impacts wasn't. And so then they can go on and reevaluate why and then maybe not do it or change the way they're doing it to to actually have impact wait what was the surgery it was something to do with the knee something to do with bones again it wasn't like a knee replacement some type of minor surgery on the knee okay okay because I was gonna say if it was like a full replacement then like I would be like that's amazing it wasn't okay yeah (laughs) no it was like some type of like minorly invasive I don't know whether it was similar to the bone spore where they just like move, removed a little bit of bone or whether they, I don't know what mm. they did. But yeah, I thought I thought that was really interesting. Just that idea in general, that type of placebo, good and bad, was really interesting. But I thought I'd jump back to just placebos in. Go so the it. word placebo is not very old. It started to be used in the year 1811 uh, and it was used to describe any medicine adapted to more please than benefit the patient so treatments that were designed to make the patient happier but they didn't have any grounds in in science which kind of I mean kind of makes sense you're trying to make people comfortable uh but I thought I'd go through a couple of my favorite recorded placebos okay so one study on migraine relief with medication so this medication was meant to like designed to work explicitly for migraines which are a really particular type of headache they knew that it had worked they had received they'd done clinical trials where this worked but they wanted to make sure that it was much more effective than a placebo it wasn't just a psychological thing so they did they did classic like control note like control trial like i think it was double blind results so they didn't know who was getting it until everything was unblinded at the end and what they found was that the placebo pills were observed to provide more than no treatment or control. So the painkiller worked the most effective. People had significantly less pain in their 20-minute, 30-minute intervals where they had to report their pain. However, the people who were receiving the placebo pill, who thought they were receiving medication, also saw a reduction in their pain. (laughs) And then the people who were getting no treatment at all had the worst time. They they Yeah, they were not doing good. So that's really interesting. So even like the perception, again, we kind of knew this, but the perception that something was going to help you made it a little bit more bearable. Yeah, like I kind of even think in the specific case of migraines, that makes sense because it's this tension in your head. So if you relax a little bit knowing that medicine's about to kick in, maybe that would help your migraine. I don't know. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm saying this to somebody who gets violently bad migraines. I feel like you're like, no way in hell. I need real, real medication now. <laughs> I was about to say, if anyone gave me a sugar pill the next time I have a migraine, I'll know. I'll know <laughs> and I'll be very yeah. upset. <laughs> you, everyone would know. <laughs> <laughs> I think migraines are tough too, because depending on the type of migraine you get, like I think, Lindsay, I think you're similar to me, where I get really bad ocular migraines. So mm-hmm. like... The, the fuzzies in my eyes, they're just there. Like, they go away after a certain amount of time. But it's like a progression of, like, fuzzies kick in, headache kicks in, and then it's, like, traveling headache kicks in, and then I get, like, numbness of the left side of my face. Like, it's a whole routine that my brain has down pat, and I can predict what's happening when. And depending when you take medication, whether it's, like, a preventative or a painkiller, those steps will or won't happen in my sequence. Mm. So I think I would know. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's also, you're such a scientist for like knowing like these are the stages. This is the like duration. Yeah. I tell Simon when I get the ocular bit, I'm like, we've got 20 minutes until the head. Oh my God. In. <laughs> I've got it down. Everyone, T minus 20 minutes. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. So that was one study. Another study was done. Uh, there's been a few different studies, but one particular one was found uh, done on depression and treating of depression with medication. So again, did a controlled group where some people had the medication, some people had a placebo and some people had nothing. And what they found was that the people even on the placebo had a decrease in their depression symptoms over the course of the study. So even just the idea of having a placebo did uh, impactfully reduce some of their symptoms, not all of them, but made a bit of a difference which is quite important because, again, all psychological, you can trick your brain. That's kind of, like, in some ways disappointing because I always hate it when people are like, just get over it. Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> simply stop. Like, yeah. And it doesn't solve it. And even medication, it won't ever solve or fix the problem. It just lessens the symptoms that you can face. Right. Um, right. Which is interesting. So... I came across one more thing I wanted to mention, and that was the term placebo button. I kind of wasn't ready to uh, learn this. So I read that, and it was a hyperlink to another page. And I assumed the placebo button was going to be, like, I don't know if anyone has really heavy painkillers in the hospital or seen someone who is, they have a button to release like morphine or something. Like morphine, yeah. Heavy painkiller that, you know, the button's active every X amount of minute. There's been some studies where they have the button and in most cases the button lights up when you you can have your next dose, you press it and it's like self-dosing according to a doctor's orders. They've done mm. some studies where the button doesn't light up and people just press it when they think they need it. And that, oh. there's been some placebo effects with people. Maybe they press it two minutes earlier than they technically could, but they still feel a little bit better. There's some other research in that. So I was like, oh, that's going to be the placebo button. No. The placebo button is like random buttons in our everyday lives. What? Yeah. Go on. What kind of buttons? Just buttons. So one example of the placebo button is thermostats in office buildings. So apparently there was a study done on a heap of different office buildings, mainly around the US, where there's a heap of floors where the thermostat, where you can adjust it to change the temperature, doesn't do anything. It's not wired into the central heating or cooling, but it's there to appease the masses. So somebody's cold, they go and adjust it a little bit. They feel like, oh, it's getting warmer and vice versa. Oh my God. Landlords, if you're listening, shut off the podcast. Do not. (laughs) Do not do it. Don't. 
That's insane. Who would have Isn't thought that of that? Wild? I don't know, but I mean, there's been studies that say it works. That's kind of brilliant because like no one agrees on the temperature of the office. Like no one. Exactly. Like that's actually just like a brilliant way to keep the peace. <laughs> everybody can turn the stupid dial (laughs) holy shit that is wild isn't that crazy another one is the push button at pedestrian crossing so you know how you walk (gasps) up and you in a lot of places these do work they're super important especially for people who have um like limited vision super duper important at at least in australia i don't know some places in america literally shock me with the lack of accessibility when trying to cross the street but in australia all of our main crossings have the buttons that you push and when you push them they start making a certain sound and billy eilish like used this sound sample in i forget bad guy i think the song they use the sample really what our yeah because they change the sound when it's safe to work so you can hear out safe to walk so you can hear it. So I'm okay. used to the buttons working because you push them, there's a light, you can hear the sound changes, tone, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Apparently all across like New York and Beijing and some places in the UK, there's a heap of push buttons that literally have no effect on the timings of the street. What the None. fuck? So it doesn't signal, like doesn't go to the signal box to say there's people who need to cross. It's just on a random cycle, like a, not a random oh. cycle, like a continuous cycle. And they'll just wait. That pisses me off so much. (laughs) God damn. I was literally out for a run today and I pressed the button and I was waiting so long that I started doing the weird jogging thing at the corner. (laughs) I hate when people do that. It's like, can you fucking chill out? But then I just like started doing it because I was waiting so long that my heart rate was decreasing. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to jog in place waiting for this, waiting for justice to happen. Which I guess is a sham. It's a sham. It's a placebo button. We don't know. Oh my God. I mean, it could have had an effect, but maybe it didn't (laughs) in that wild. Wow. It's like, again, just like forcing people, like giving the illusion of um, immediacy and like actually just forcing you to be patient, like kind of the same as thermostat a little bit. Yeah. Well, you see people at the buttons, like losing it, like pressing it. (laughs) A thousand times. And you're like, that's not going to work. That's That's not not how they work. (laughs) Um, But people are unhinged. I think that's what I've come away. And the the one final thing, just a couple of sentences I wanted to end on, was something called nocebos. So this is when people face adverse side effects when taking a placebo or even for real medication when they become hyper aware of side effects. So one study found that given people who were given a placebo that had uh, a big side effect label that headaches are likely from this type of medication, the majority Mm -hmm. reported having a headache, even though they hadn't (sighs) taken this medication. And a similar thing happens with other types of medicines where you take a medicine and you've been warned for a particular side effect, you get hyper aware of that. Yeah. And I think we saw this with... Uh, different covid vaccines where there was a couple of them that had the very rare blood clotting and Mm -hmm. so that was the side effect that was listed to please be cautious please be hyper aware and just monitor your symptoms there's amazing data from australia that when that vaccine started to get rolled out the amount of people presenting at the er with symptoms for this type of blood clot was ridiculous like 10 20 times more than they would get in a day the amount of people who actually had the condition remained the exact same from before covid to after there were less there was only a couple of of cases that actually had 
were experiencing this type of thing. The rest was all this kind of weird placebo effect of this very hyper aware and very worried that that could happen. And so anything that could mildly be construed as I think that's a symptom was taken as a symptom. And, you know, that's why we have medical care to make sure that these these things aren't actual things. And it was good that the people went and got checked to make sure that they right. were okay. Um, but you do see that hyper-awareness of of a situation, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, like I've heard that also kind of referred to as the power of suggestion. Mm. And I feel like I feel like placebos kind of in general are just this really strange window into the human psyche that you know like you said the the mind is such a powerful thing that really it psychologically it can have a, a physical effect like I don't know if this falls under a placebo effect but I remember one time learning about like a queen or somebody who like wanted to get pregnant so bad that they basically had a ghost pregnancy not like with a real ghost but like I remember they, a phantom pregnancy yes yeah. yes like like physically resembled being pregnant like their whole body went through a pregnancy despite not ever being actually pregnant. conceiving like to yeah. me that's that's another like maybe it's not really a placebo effect but it's the same kind of like power of the mind and suggestion oh yeah absolutely the mind is terrifying which scared the shit out of me in high school <laughs> because literally every other day i was like oh my god if i'm scared like you know like your period's late or something and you're like am i pregnant and then you're like if i panic about being pregnant i'm gonna get a phantom pregnancy so i gotta stop <laughs> <laughs> i was a very anxious kid <laughs> <laughs> me too that seems like super logical to me if I was like, you know, a teenager freaking out. <laughs> yeah, it's like what you're describing with the COVID blood clots, except that was me just like always being like, I'm pregnant. I know it. <laughs> well, even I, after my I think second or third vaccine, I had like some of the super duper mild symptoms, which now I'm like, were they symptoms or was I? Because I'm a very anxious person. I am medicated for anxiety. I'm anxious, full stop. And so I was like... <gasps> oh my God, is my breathing, am I, am I having trouble breathing? And then for someone's like, it's okay, you're fine. Just sit down and have a coffee and it was fine. But even I was like, oh my God, like when do I call the nurse? I right. was fine. Or like there are so many times where I'm like, <laughs> is my left arm tingling? Am I having a heart attack? Am I having a heart attack right now? And it's yeah. just like anxiety. It's just like, it's just normal anxiety. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. oh, tough well, Awesome, there. Sarah. I think what I've learned is that you can't no, you know what I've learned is that there are sham surgeries. I think that's gonna stick with me for a long time. I think I'm gonna run out of this session and just the first person like I'm gonna be like, Daniel, there's sham sham <laughs> surgeries. <laughs> I want like pics or it didn't happen for any of my future surgeries. <laughs> I want this on tape. <laughs> Give me the VHS recording of my surgery. That was fascinating. Thank you so much for that, Sarah, that deep dive. I'm so ready to hear about your person. I'm going to talk to you today about Juliana Kopka. And her name is spelled a bit like Julianne. That's what we would say in English, but she's German. So that's why it's okay. pronounced Juliana. Juliana. Okay. Juliana. Juliana, as I said before in the little teaser in the beginning, is one of my newest heroes. And okay. I just... I love that this is like an all-woman episode, and we're going to talk about a badass woman. So Juliana was born in 1954, and she is still alive today. So she is a living hero of mine. Wow. Just to kind of give you the story of her early life a little bit, she is German, and her parents are German, but she grew up in Peru. So she was born, Ooh. actually, in Peru as well. 
born in Lima, Peru. And her parents were these zoologists and they studied and worked at the Lima Museum of Natural History. So they were like very successful scientists in zoology, um, particularly birds, ornithology. Um, I always talk about birds somehow. I fucking love birds. So her parents were really, really passionate. Love birds. Her parents were present day augers. Not really. Um, but they studied birds. They studied birds very well. And when she was about 14 years old, they were like hardcore academics and they were like, you know what? We live really close to the Amazon rainforest. We are going to go uh, to this research sta- station called Panguana and we're going to like establish this research station. And you, as our 14 year old daughter, wait, Sarah, you're making a face. Does it involve a plane? Yes. I know her! Holy shit. She's incredible. Please continue. Okay, holy shit. So I should stop here and go into my warning. This is actually probably a good moment to say that the story I'm about to talk about gets very heavy very quickly. So I just want to give a general warning in addition to Drew's that this is challenging. There's going to be a little bit of mention of some light gore, tragedy, mass death. So if any of those are particularly triggering to you, please turn off this episode. Um, Really take care of yourselves. I can't help but focus on the positives. Doesn't mean that the whole thing was positive. There was a lot of difficulty. I feel like it is a story everybody, if you you feel like it's not going to trigger anything, should hear. Like it is... Yeah, I only learned about it a couple months ago because I listened to an audiobook about it and literally jaw <gasps> on the ground because holy moly, like well, an if incredible you, young woman. If you have more details to fill in, please do. Okay. I, like this was a story that when I read it for the first time for for this show, I could not stop thinking about it. Like in mm-hmm. the back of my mind, everything I did after I heard this story, I kept thinking about her and I just wanted to keep telling people about her. She I is wondered remarkable. why her name sounded so familiar. I know. Please continue. Her family, amazing, smart scientists, badasses doing it all in the Amazon. Yeah, they, in the Amazon, Panguana Research Station. She's 14 years old and out there was pretty remote. So she was homeschooled. So in the morning, she would spend time in the jungle with her parents among howler monkeys and jaguars and everything else that's dangerous in the Amazon. And then at night, she would go home and her parents would teach her algebra or whatever else. And this was, you know, sometime in the in the 60s, I guess late 60s. And educational authorities from Peru had disapproved of the level of her education. So they kind of intervened and they were like, you actually need to go to high school in Lima. We we demand it pretty much. So she went to this German international school in Lima and she was ready to graduate. So she was set to have her diploma ceremony where she actually walks across the stage on December 23rd, 1971. December 22nd, she was supposed to have a graduation ball. And being a teenage girl, she was very excited about this. And she had saved up all of her own money for her very first long length gown. So it was like this blue fluffy gown with puffy sleeves. And she was really excited to wear it and go to the ball. So her mom and her were in Lima and she went to her ball. She got her diploma on the 23rd and it was time to fly home. But of course, for Christmas, this exactly was Christmas Eve. Exactly. So I was going to ask you if you've ever heard of Lansa, L-A-N-S-A. I have. I have because of this, but also because they were just terrible. Like, yes. Wasn't this that they had almost no planes left? I think this was their last plane in the fleet. You are exactly right. <laughs> yeah. 
If you are listening like, right now and you have never heard of Lanza Airlines, it's because this was their last flight on December 23rd, 1971. They'd had so many issues. Like So this is exactly where Juliana's father came in and said, please pick any other airline but Lanza. They have a terrible reputation. In fact, of their 170 Lockheed Electra planes, 58 of them either crashed or had horrible accidents. 58 out of 170 planes. That's insane that they were even still allowed to fly. Like, I feel like the FAA would not allow that now. Some reports that I read had said that actually they were not allowed to be flying or that they had like extended... It seemed a bit shady, but mm. um, they really were not were not allowed to be flying or should not have been. And like I said, this was their this was their last flight. They went out of business, and they were a pretty young business. I think they started in 1963, um, so this really was a short lived business. Very shameful. So, Juliana, you can guess where this is going. Gets on the plane. And she sits two rows from the back in a window seat. And 15 minutes into landing, there was a thunderstorm. There was heavy turbulence. And the plane was shaking and people were starting to panic. And being Christmas Eve, there were Christmas presents kind of like raining down out of the overhead compartments. It was getting really shaky up there. And she said that she remembers a blinding light as lightning struck the gasoline tank and exploded the right arm of the plane. And she said that her mom turned to her very calmly and said, now it's all over. And the plane took a nosedive into the Amazonian rainforest and there were loud roaring sounds of the engine. It plummeted towards the earth and there was silence. Juliana, as others have put it, had the plane leave around her. She did not leave the plane. Still strapped into her seat, she fell for two miles, strapped into her chair and woke up on the ground. She didn't know this. Hmm? Did you hear the physics of why they think all of those circumstances saved her? I have heard or read that there were four competing theories, but I'm interested, Mm. especially as an astrophysicist, what your take is. I heard, so I was reading this one theory where imagine you're in a row of seats, so you've got three seats and you're strapped into your seat. The people next to you, so her mum and then there would have been another person, did not, Mm -hmm. were not able to stay strapped into their seats. So they slipped out, but you're strapped into this seat cassette. So there's you and all of these seats. You're a bit heavier on one side and you tilt the seats. And the way that it falls is it spins, you know, those leaves or those seeds that you get from trees that you fly up into the air and they really gracefully tumble their way back down. We call them helicopter seeds here. Yeah, helicopter seeds. Apparently the physics could be very similar to somebody strapped into a seat like that where it slows down your terminal velocity enough that you're not hurtling, which still just absolutely sounds terrifying. Absolutely. I mean, like, this is not at all comparable, but I was on King Dakar, which is a roller coaster here in the U.S. That's um, It's just straight up, straight down. And you sort of spiral towards going down um presumably also to slow you down a little bit and just being strapped into that seat the way I was in a completely safe environment well I don't know if you want to say completely safe I don't really trust um carnival rides or <laughs> I don't or, trust like theme park rides yeah but I was I was strapped in and I I remember thinking in that moment like that my body 
was like parallel to the ground, that my chest was like hurtling towards the earth. And that alone was really scary. But then sort of spiral towards the ground was was also like terrifying. Um, yeah. So, you know, I can't I can't imagine what this what this must have felt like for two miles. But that was one of the theories was that that's the way that it slowed down. And mm. other theories were that like the trees were just really dense in that area, maybe mm. broke the fall a bit. Um, another theory is that instead of facing down, she was sitting. <laughs> oh. The source said as if she was in a boat and the bottoms of the seat row broke the fall through the branches. Oh, that makes so much sense. I think all but those I don't theories th- kind of combined any one of them could have helped. Yeah. Um, another, I think the final theory, just to round it out, was that the updrafts from being in a thunderstorm also helps break the fall. Uh, just oh the winds gosh. themselves were powerful. But I don't think it's conclusive. I don't think anybody no. really knows exactly why. Just that yeah. she's hella lucky. She's exactly hella lucky. And she didn't know this at the time, but she landed about 30 miles from where she grew up. So she was actually pretty familiar with the forest that she landed in. In a sense, not necessarily that she knew where she was, but like she recognized the plant types and she knew what animals would be in the area. And the injuries that she sustained were a concussion, of course, a broken collarbone, a gash on her leg and a cut on her arm. Not too bad considering she fell two miles. Exactly. Exactly. Like, clearly enough that she survived. But there were other challenges that actually made things much more impossible. The first one is that clearly she was not prepared to enter the Amazon. So she was wearing a cotton mini dress. Oh, the poor girl. Yep. That's number one. Number two is that she wears glasses and they were lost. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So like, you know, the Amazon, at least for me, has always been this place where there's a lot of very well camouflaged, dangerous animals like snakes and scorpions and jaguars and things that just generally want to kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't even imagine the mental anguish of knowing that I'm lost in the rainforest without my fucking glasses. I couldn't. I would sit oh. down and I would have to wait or I would I'd be terrified every step of the way. Especially, yeah, not being able to even if things are just slightly blurry. Ooh, right. Scary. I mean, like how do you so speaking of like how do you how do you see where you're going? She only had one shoe. She had one sandal and at the time she said that she just kept it on because she figured one was better than nothing. Yeah. She's so smart. She really she really is. And to explore the Amazon, just for reference, you really need like seriously industrial boots or, you know, like rain shoes or something like that. And speaking of December, which is when, she, you know, December 24th is the rainy season. So at night she was hit with these terribly cold rains. And she didn't have a way of making fire. She didn't have a machete. She didn't have any knives. Like, she was really just out there in a cotton mini dress and one shoe. It's insane. Unbelievable. And she also had a bag of boiled sweets that I don't know if she took from the plane or where she had them, but that was the only food that she had brought with her. And that was enough to sustain her for four days. But she learned as a child growing up in the Amazon that the way to find people is to follow a stream because Mm -hmm. the hope is if you follow a stream, it'll lead to a larger river and hopefully people have settled along that river. So that was her plan. She was going to find a stream and follow it to people. And she also knew that piranhas hang out in shallow water, (laughs) which again, when I read that, I was like, holy shit, cannot catch it. But like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Everywhere is fucking dangerous in the Amazon. Yes. So she 
found a stream and went to the very center of it to stay out of the shallow water. But again, there's also alligators and stingrays, which also was wild to me to imagine alligators and stingrays in the same place. But there's alligators and stingrays in the middle of the water. Needless to say, did she float down the stream? Just let it take her? Is that? I believe she did. I don't know if she swam very actively, but she, yeah. She, she, I assume she did because I think that she was quite lethargic. Because I read also mm. that she tried to catch a poison dart frog for food. And apparently, under normal circumstances, it's not enough poison to kill you. But she was yeah. so weakened that it actually would have killed her if she ate it. Oh my gosh. Imagine yeah. floating down a stream where you know there's croc- uh, not crocodiles, alligators. Yeah, to make matters worse, the cut on her arm that I mentioned got mm. infected with maggots. Oh, like she's incredible. I wouldn't have had the forethought to mentally deal with any of this. That's really what makes her my hero in so many ways is because like, I'm sure if you asked her, she would be like, I didn't have a choice. Like I just had to Mm. keep going. But like just hearing her story, there are so many moments I would have fucking given up, you know, like I would have just I would have given up. I, I I don't know how she had the the mental and physical fortitude to keep going. Yeah. Like a true, true levels of endurance that are just absolutely remarkable. And so she's floating down this stream. Let's say she's floating. And she hears a call of Hotsons. Hotsons? It's a type of bird. So I'm very sorry to all the birds out there that I'm pronouncing this probably incorrectly. Hotsons, maybe. Um, she hears their call. And she remembers from her parents being, you know, the scientists that they are, that these birds like to hang out in areas of water that are large and open. So the only problem is, so, you know, that's where she's trying to get to is like a large and open river. But the problem is that the call of these birds was not coming from down the stream where she was heading. They were coming from somewhere else. So she had to make a choice. Yeah. Her choice was, do I keep following the stream that I'm in? Or do I leave the stream and follow the call of those birds that I know hang out in this open water? And she made the decision to follow the sound of those birds. So she gets out and she finds a logging camp. And this is the place where Sarah starts squirming. She administers at this logging camp her own first aid. And one of Mm. those things is that she pours gasoline in the wound that had the maggots in it to clear them out. Again, this woman is remarkable. She yes. would have lost her arm fully if she hadn't have done that. Yes, it completely worked. And again, coming back to this you know, sort of luckiness mm, about her. <laughs> it's okay. I, should, I just, shouldn't plow forward. We need a moment. I, I can't imagine. I just cannot imagine. Sorry, she's amazing. Please continue. No, don't be sorry. She really does. This is what I mean. Like, this is the kind of stuff that kept ringing in my head after I read this, that I just kept thinking about this, like holy shit so she's she's there administering first aid at this logging camp and um again her lucky streak continues it's a rarely visited camp but that day two men happen to be visiting and they find her and they're like oh my god uh we got to get you to a nearby town so they put her in a canoe they bring her to a nearby town and she's airlifted to a hospital meanwhile there had been a search for the plane so this is about nine days after the crash so i think she's i read different I don't know if it was nine or 11 days, somewhere between nine to 11 days she survived in the Amazon. Yeah, it was a long time, over a week for sure. It was, and she only had four days worth of food. 
So I don't know what yeah. she did for that week. You know, like she. I think she was it's just amazing. drinking water that she could find. But I also read apparently when she got to the logger's cabin, so she used the gasoline, was like, I need to do something about this arm because it's going to get bad. And then mm-hmm. like had the moment where she's like, I should continue on. I need to continue oh. on while I've got energy. But then was also like, no, something in my gut says I just need to stay for a little bit. Really? apparently yeah so she stayed because she's like i just in my gut i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay for x amount of time whether it's half a day a day i've got shelter um and i've just, we'll see what happens like someone might not come but just in case and but apparently yeah something in her gut was like you can't leave right now you just need to stay and if she hadn't of she would have went in the opposite direction that the the loggers had come from as well to follow the birds <sighs> So, like, serendipitous, if she hadn't have stayed or if she had have fixed herself wow. and then left immediately, she probably wouldn't have been rescued. Rescued within a timely mem- manner, which is just That's so incredible. Scary. That is absolutely incredible. I didn't know that. Did you read the book that she wrote? There have been a few yeah. books about her, but this is her book that you read? Yeah, I listened to the one that she had written. And then there was also... Um, Another podcast, Morbid, which I love, they also covered mm-hmm. it and then used bits from her her words as well. It was oh my god, insane. that's fascinating! Like, I should definitely legend. listen to her book. It's that's scary. incredible. It, was this the Jungle Gave Me My Life Back or How the Jungle Gave Me My Life Back? I think, or it was the girl who fell. Oh, the uh, girl who fell from the sky or something like that. Maybe or the girl who fell X feet. I forget what it was called, but yeah. Is it called When I Fell from the Sky, How the Jungle Gave Me My Life Back? Yes. Yeah, When I Fell from so the Sky. So a combination of what? The sky is another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to uh, get that right so that people can listen to it or read it if they would like to. Yes, definitely do. There's also a good New York Times article all about her from a few years ago. Yeah, so I had compiled sort of my notes for this session from these different like articles. And I think that's also why it was a little bit tricky to get exact numbers right, because things from like around the time it happened said one thing and then I read in an article that she was like oh back then they got a ton of things wrong and this is like the correct stuff so there's there's a bunch of different uh sources of information but regardless she makes it to the hospital it's about nine to eleven days since the crash and she actually helps authorities locate the crash And I have to say that one of the saddest things about this story is that there was evidence that about 14 other people survived the crash but did not survive the Amazon. So it was really her knowledge. So what I read about her mom was actually that she may have survived based on the decomposition of her body. She may have survived a lot longer than other people did, but it's thought that she had actually been paralyzed from the fall. So it's not. Oh my God, the poor woman. Yeah, it's not that she didn't have the knowledge or the luck necessarily, but that she physically did not have the means to walk away from the crash. So this so sad. It is, and I'm going to choose not to dwell on it because it will absolutely bring me down. So I want to move on to say that this was a true moment of not just luck but real intelligence on Juliana's part, and I find that just incredible because. I think that especially as a scientist, you kind of lull yourself into this sort of false belief that you are indestructible in a weird kind of way. The more you know about nature, the more you feel that you can predict it or move within it. 
And I feel like often I'm faced with the fact that like, no, 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 like you'll never have nature totally figured out. Like nature is its own sort of entity, a being within itself that you can only guess at or get get angles of. And it was just really incredible to me to watch a scientist with her expertise navigate such a hostile environment. And I think probably me hearing this whole thing, all I can think of is like, okay, she survived physically, but what about mentally and emotionally, which I think is what you were also getting at too. Mm -hmm. And I would be fascinated to hear what this was like in the book, but she had returned to Germany to fully recover. She actually specializes in bats, Amazonian bats. She's a zoologist herself, and she's currently a librarian at the Bavarian State Collection. She is continues to be a badass, continues to be a scientist, but her emotional recovery was very slow because especially at the time in the 70s, they didn't really have sort of mental health resources or even language for what she was experiencing. Tremendous survivor's guilt. Mm. I mean, you can only imagine. And post-traumatic stress as well. Absolutely. One of the things I read was that like they'd rescued her, got her to a town. They needed to get her to like another hospital they put her on a plane to do that and like had not even considered how scary that would have been for her but she was Uh. obviously in a lot of pain and then she didn't apparently didn't really tick that over until she was laying in the hospital bed and was like oh my god i mean you have to do what you got to do to survive i guess but even that like yeah how triggering that must have been can't imagine it would have been very scary oh my god well that's amazing. I didn't read that. That's amazing. She So she had said that her emotional recovery really took a turn when Werner Herzog, who is a name I was at least familiar with, but I haven't like seen his works, but he's a famous filmmaker, if you've ever heard of him. Um, he was scheduled to be on that plane. And at the last second, yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah so he was supposed remember. to be there. Yeah. And so he has always felt himself this very strong emotional connection to the tragedy. And he had tried to reach out to Juliana for years and years, but she hated being in the public eye. She really does not like, I guess, digging up those wounds for obvious reasons. And she just wanted to move on with her life. But he finally got in touch with her. And somewhere between 1998 to 2000, again, every source I read had a different date. He put out a documentary about her and with her life. And I actually watched a bit of it. And she kind of reflected on the whole experience with him saying that that was the closest thing she really had to therapy or a therapeutic sort of um, revisiting of, of the whole incident because he really knew how to listen to her and really had this empathy because he was very nearly a victim himself. So I think for mm-hmm. both of them, it was a bit of a healing experience. And that's really where I wanted to leave it was, you know, on somewhat of a positive note to say that the incredible resilience intelligence, bravery, endurance, really unbelievable, really superhuman, this woman. She's 17 years old going through the whole thing. Um, she's, She's remarkable. She is. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I'm so glad that we got to cover that because she really is a badass and still is a badass. Still advocating for environmental like conservation and education and things like that now, which are really important. Wow. That is really amazing. I didn't I think it's like so funny that I was like, this is gonna be such a Sarah subject. And it just like <laughs> was to the point that you already knew. <laughs> I didn't recognize her name, but as soon as you said the research camp and so-and-so, I was like, I remember this. (laughs) I don't know how you just sat with that knowledge for however long. Like, I keep wanting to tell the (laughs) world about this woman. 
I have told many people. So I should go listen to different different books or different podcast episodes on it because it is it's remarkable. Yeah. And I think yeah, I'm gonna say I think it's a bit of a testament to how well her parents had taught her to work within nature as well and listen and watch what nature is saying and doing and you know yeah. all of those things to try and use it to her advantage um, and not be too scared. But yeah, all of the different exactly. knowledge that she talks about, like it, it's wild. It's really, really interesting. What aspect of her book really stuck with you the most? There was a moment where she talked about, and I can't remember whether it was a, like a cougar or an alligator, something that could eat her. I forget what it was. It was like a very predatory animal. And mm. she was on the bank of the river taking a rest and this animal was right near her and I think she felt very threatened by it and she just like on her belly slid into the river and then just let the river take her just not moving trying not to move trying to be as still as possible slowly backing wow. her slid into the river and then just let the river take her down and I'm like so I she tried to look dead try to just yeah try be not there not moving yeah maybe dead I guess like just slip away, not aggravate it or spook it. And I'm like, wow, I would have done a different thing and I would have not have survived. Also, like, to be so inert but passing through those shallow waters where you know Mm. the piranhas Mm. are, that would have been really... And you've got a flesh wound on your arm. Yeah, that would have been really hard. It would have been very, very hard. No, it's amazing. And the photos of that time as well are pretty incredible like even the photo of the like the research hut that she used to live in looks magical looks like something out of the jungle book oh really cool we will have all of these resources available on our patreon so that you don't have to sift through all of our social medias to find them um these photos really are remarkable this is unbelievable like even her in the hospital bed she looks so healthy compared to what she's been through she looks like a normal girl yeah but yeah pretty amazing thank you so much for sharing it and i'm sorry that i was like so excited oh my god why would you be sorry (laughs) (laughs) i love these type of topics this is awesome thank you for filling in with all of the really cool details i can't wait to listen to her audiobook oh i think you'll like it and also i'll put in the link for our patreon the morbid morbid podcast episode because they did a really good job of combining a few different sources information and and describing it as well it was amazing Um, that would be excellent awesome cool should we wrap up thank you so much yeah hell yeah Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, If you're still here, thank you for being with us. If you are not still here, um, I love you, but I'm a ghost and you don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) I love you. Uh, We especially love Moth so, so, so much. Thank you very much, Moth, for joining our Patreon and hanging out with us even more. If you would like to hang out with us on social media, it is Go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter, Go Ask Alice Podcast on Instagram, Sarah Web Science on TikTok, and... um, just google us otherwise and uh that'll do it for now we love moth we love moth bye (laughs) i thought you were gonna say really warm consensual handshake